episode. Welcome, everybody, to the Midpark Music On Air podcast. My name is Kevin Vargo, host, founder of Midpark Music. Uh, and today is Tuesday, August 10th already. Uh, and today you are in for a treat with my good friend Jody. Well, my good friend, Jody, friend of Public Universal Friend. Um, so very excited for you guys to hear this one. Uh, going to get to all that here in just a minute, of course. Um, not really much to go over in the sense of uh, the brand and, and things going on. Um, things are pretty consistent right now. Um, so Jody actually is, is the first interview that's um, kind of coming about from the Midwest Magic playlist uh, that I started four weeks ago. Uh, I already have 80 bands on there. Just put another 20 up yesterday. So um, I just say that to to go or to, to encourage you to go check that out. There's a lot of really good local bands on there, a lot of really good local music. Um, yeah, I mean, just if you are a fan of rock in any way, you can find... Uh, I would say at least a few bands on there that you uh, that you can really root for from here on out. Um, and uh, and Jody and Public Universal Friend here are just uh, just one of the many. Um, what else? Uh, uh, finally got back to our um, Sunday Sound Select yesterday. Or actually, this would have been two days ago now. Uh, and that was with another Indianapolis band. Of course, here, Public Universal Friend and, and Jody, the band here, are from the Indianapolis area. And uh, the band that we did this past Sunday uh, highlighting Southbound Beretta uh, is also a, uh, an Indianapolis band. So I uh, figured it'd be nice to tie those two together there. Um, and that's really it. You know, go check out the site. I've uh, got a lot of good things coming in the sense of artist management, um, some outlines for, for things going forward and just really excited for the direction of things. But, uh, as always, uh, this is not about me. This is about the band today. This is about Jody. Um, so this interview, uh, is why I do interviews. Uh, this interview is why music means so much to um, not only myself, but everybody. Um, but just the conversation I was able to have here with Jody, and you'll hear, um, it's definitely one of the most open and vulnerable. And I, I cannot you know, tell you how much I appreciate her for just sharing everything. So Jody is a trans woman. Um, and that's a big part of the art behind Public Universal Friend. And you'll hear her talk all about that. And it's just, it's just a beautiful thing. You know, there are, um, I don't think there's a right way or a wrong way to do music. Um, but there's definitely different ways. And, um, you know, there are a lot of folks, and especially in today's digital day and age, that, you know, can pump a song out in in uh, a matter of minutes and, and put it to, into a recording and uh, make a final cut. And that's that. Um, that is not what Jody and Public Universal Friend are in the business of music for totally opposite in that uh, music is a, a, a story. It's a lifelong story. Um, it's, a, it's an artistic journey, um, you know, from the very beginning. So just really, really excited for you guys to hear this whole thing. So the song that you heard there, of course, um, that was Public Universal Friend, that was lifted, just a little bit of lifted. Um, that was the song, you know, I mentioned that, uh, the Jody here, um, the, the way that we connected was to the Midwest magic playlist. That was the song that, uh, that first kind of connected me to them. I really, really liked this one. And I think this is the one to me that sounds most like the comparison that I have given Jody to their band, uh, Fiona Apple. I think, um, there's almost like a, 
almost like a hip hop element of it. It's not hip hop. <laughs> it's rock music, but um, just kind of in the way that the beat is, and it's a very hard, um, I don't know. I don't know how to explain that any other way, but um, it just reminds me very much of Fiona Apple, which uh, to me is a hell of a compliment. Um, an extremely creative artist there as well. And, and um, just so many good things uh, that I that I could say ultimately here. But uh, as always, we will, uh, of course, we heard a snippet there at the beginning. We'll hear uh, the whole song here. So we're going to hear... Uh, so again, this is lifted, and it's off of the uh, the band's full album, Perennials, which we'll talk all about here in the conversation you'll hear. Um, but we're going to hear lifted the whole song. We'll come back, just kind of wrap things up uh, for a couple minutes, and then we will go into the full conversation with Jody Friend here, a public universal friend. But for now, let's go ahead and listen to lifted. Uh, turn the speakers, turn the speakers up, excuse me, uh, and enjoy this tune here. We'll be back. <laughs> See the grave lifting up its owner. 
I mean, literally, I, I, so I listened to the whole album uh, a couple of days ago. And I mean, literally every song, in my opinion, is really, really good. Um, so I encourage you, uh, whether you liked that one and you want to go listen to more, whether you, you know, might not have loved that one. Uh, I can tell you there's another uh, good amount of songs on that album you got to go check out. Um, so that was Lifted, of course. And then uh, now, uh, to lead us into the conversation, uh, we are going to listen to what I think has become kind of the mainstay, and you will hear Jody talk about that as well, of the album, uh, which is Firestarter. So Firestarter, um, there is, if you go to the band's Instagram, uh, a really cool video of a Tiny Desk session in which they're playing that thing live there in... in, um, it's really, really cool, really, really good. Uh, I encourage you to go check that out. Um, but yeah, this song, like I said, you'll hear Jody talk about in the conversation. I think it's, uh, you know, again, not to harp on and say the same things over and over, but it's another really, really good tune. And I think all every song on the album, uh, it has similar elements to the others, but all of them are unique in their own way. And I know that's you know, kind of cliche to say with an album in the sense of giving it a compliment, but that's, you know, that I, I really mean that. Um, so yeah, enjoy here. Um, like I said, this is Firestarter by Public Universal Friend. Uh, the song that we heard there just a couple minutes ago that was lifted. Now we're listening to Firestarter. Uh, and then this is going to lead us into the full conversation here with Jody Friend, uh, guitarist, vocalist here of Public Universal Friend. Enjoy the whole conversation. And we will be back after just to wrap things up. And uh, we'll see you then.
who is the main friend of public universal friend. Uh, I always got to say something corny to just ruin everything, of course. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Um, greatly, greatly appreciate her for coming in. Um, very unique in that this is the first band that's kind of emerged from the uh, Midwest playlist that I'm putting together that I really enjoy doing. Uh, so, Jody, welcome on in. Kevin, thank you so much. Yes, absolutely. Um Gosh, lots of things that we can start with. Let's start with the music. Uh, I think that's the easiest place, of course. Um, so you guys, uh, as a band, as we were just saying off the recording here, you released three singles right ahead of the full album. It was Perennials, was the whole album, released in March of 2021. Um, let's just talk about that first, actually, because... I didn't see an EP, which is interesting mm. in today's day and age. That is not a complaint in any way. That's it's seems like everybody does an EP, which is okay. Uh, what was the kind of thinking behind that, and just like what was the album release like? Mm. I think that the full album model is one that is kind of controversial because the way that music is heard and consumed. In 2021 is very different than it was when I began in 2008, um, which like I've been releasing an album every like year or two since I was 18. Yep. And um, Perennials was the first that was under the new name and was the first that was uh, kind of a part of this collective this crew we're kind of calling it the co-op right now that's kind of like all the all the cast and crew of public universal friend um and like before i guess like in 2017 we released an album that was six songs long and that was kind of the first full band sound and uh with this new release we were rebranding everything so the the idea was to 
have like a debut album for the band that would start off my career in a new direction because I um, came out as trans this year and prior to that I was releasing music under my old name and it was a lot of that was solo. So this was kind of the first foray into the new chapter, which is Public Universal Friend. Fantastic. And how did we get to, given all that, there's so much to unpack there. Uh, how did you get to, because I'm sure that there was meaning behind the name Public Universal Friend. What is that ultimately for you? When I was first... Well, I should say I've been looking for a good band name for ever. And I had yeah, a we all have. We all that's have. right. That's right. I had a um a spreadsheet full of all these names and I was researching um basically genderqueer people in history and I was trying to find something that would kind of connect uh, my story and my music to a name that actually meant something and wasn't just like um, something meaningless. So, so I, this is a, a band name that I found to be um, like so significant because of its historical context. Um, Public Universal Friend is the name of a historical figure who in the mid 1700s in early America um, was a Quaker prophet, kind of pastor, and they had that name after this near-death experience where they encountered what they said to be God or angels or the divine, and were told that um, they could transcend gender and take on this new life. Um, so it's it's this whole kind of theme of new life, death, the spirit, and um, things having to do with the church, too, because that's part of my story as well. But um, after, like, looking at all the names that we had to choose from, Public Universal Friend is the one that stood out and is the one that stuck around. And I thought it was like, ah, oh, it's too long. It's kind of weird. Um, but eventually I was convinced that it was perfect. And since then it's kind of like the name has become the band and vice versa. And, um, it's just perfect. Plus the acronym is puff, which is just cute. <laughs> so I'm really happy with it. Yeah. It worked well for social media as well too. Yeah. Um, that, so I, I always ask that question to everybody, uh, how, you know, how did you get to the band name? And I follow it up with sometimes, you know, there's you you throw a dart at a board and it's literally whatever. Uh, and sometimes there's a very deep meaning. I think that qualifies for very deep meaning uh, in the best way. Um, that, you know, is, is kind of the the essence of art. You know, I know that's really corny to say. Uh, I kind of always touch on that, but it's the truth you know that is the stuff for me anyways and i think for most people that really really enjoy the art behind music uh you know the things that will really attract people to you guys um do you do you so i know you said it's kind of a collective just in the sense of the name so you go by jody friend do other people in the band also 
use the last name friend? <laughs> no, um, it's just me. It was actually interesting. Um, I adopted the band name last summer in 2020, and it was also around then that I was going by a new name, Jody. And I um, was also thinking about just using kind of a stage name, the last name friend, but um, it just kind of started to make sense more and more for that just to be my last name. So it's actually my legal name. Um, but we we sometimes call like, <laughs> like the closest we have to like a collective name is we call like my management team, um, the Powerpuff Girls, Puff with yeah. an F. And we have like a text thread. It's cute. But it's like, um, sometimes we'll call ourselves the Powerpuff Girls who just follow Jody Friend around. So it's kind of just like a funny, weird family. <laughs> but I don't know. If someone else wanted to change the last name to Friend, that would be some serious dedication. Could happen. We'll see. That, <laughs> that is, yeah, I had to ask. That's, uh, that's cool. Uh, and I, you, so you said that is your legal name? Mm-hmm. Very good. Yeah. Um, something else that is, I think, important, uh, to your story, maybe not, I don't know, it's important to me, usually most, uh, from the area in the sense of you, you know, being from the Midwest uh, and from Indy, I don't know if you're from there, but you're there now. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah, I grew up in Tennessee, but okay. moved to Indy in 2015, Gotcha. So I have like, yeah, Southern roots, uh, but I've been living how, in the Midwest for six years. How, um, now I'm even more interested because <laughs> uh, I lived in Nashville for uh, three and a half years, nice. which Nashville is not Tennessee. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean there? Um, you know, if you get 20 to 30 minutes outside of Nashville, it becomes a completely different place. Uh, which is kind of what drove me out. I mean, I I was happy to be back into the Midwest. I'm back in Chicago now. Um, so what was that like as you were kind of going through? When did you transition or when did you come out as trans just recently? Mm. So that in effect at all when you were in Tennessee? So I have been in one way or another gender nonconforming since I was really little. And um, I lived in Tennessee until I was 22, I guess. And once I moved to Indy is where I was in a like relatively larger city than I'd ever lived in. And there's a lot more diversity. And I started meeting people who were in the queer community that um, really became who my they became like my supporters when I started having conversations about being trans. And it's, it's really interesting because like uh, in America, it seems that the South and the Midwest are probably the, um, they, they tend to be like the, one of the least safe places for queer people mm-hmm. compared to either coast or any of the larger cities. Um, but like when I grew up in Tennessee, I did not feel like there was even an option to explore gender or what that meant. And it's been very interesting touring between Indy and like I grew up near Knoxville, Tennessee, 
and like going in between those locations and finding people that I grew up with who knew, knew me then and also know me now. Um, and some of them are very accepting and loving and just wonderful. And some are more hesitant and have maybe never met someone that's trans before. So it's a very interesting place to occupy as a trans artist. And that's mostly just because like, there's not really a script and there's not a narrative that is common for someone like me to just do. So it often feels like I am occupying several different worlds and breaking ground in them. Um, but really, like, whether I were trans or not, it would still be a matter of authenticity and realness as an artist. Um, and for my story, that just happens to be that I'm trans. Like, it's not something that, um, like, if I weren't an artist, I wonder if I would be, if it would matter <laughs> whether I were trans or not in that kind of regard. But since it is something, like, my art is so personal. It does feel like my transness becomes part of the story and part of the narrative of the band and is all woven into where I grew up and where I am now and really deciding not to live in a larger city or, a, or like moving to San Francisco or New York or L.A. or something. Like, why in the world am I in Indy? Well, because of the community that I built here and the people that have magnetized themselves to me during that time of exploring authenticity and creating art that supports that. That is uh, beautiful. Uh, I think we could, we could, so we could stop there um, and, and that would be a fantastic place. Um, yeah, I mean, I hit, I hit it often in what I talk about in, in being authenticity or in being authenticity, being authentic <laughs> in what you do, um, no matter what it is. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, everything that you just said, right, is in line with that. I always have to test about, uh, touch on that, you know, in terms of being in the South, because I'm always curious. Uh, I mean, regardless of whether you're trans or whether you're whomever, uh, I'm, I have friends that are that are black that grew up in the South that it's different uh, now that they've moved away. So I'm always curious kind of just how people have grown or kind of see themselves. I figured you were, so it sounds like you're right around my age, which is, which is interesting because you also, another thing that I thought was interesting too is in the way people are in taking music, uh, which is different, especially, you know, from when you were probably first getting out there starting to put albums out to now um and you talked a little bit about like the community that you built which obviously you know has a lot to do with the fact that you're trans but i want to kind of just focus on the music community even mm -hmm. itself in indie i'm sure you know, you've been there like you said now for six years mm -hmm. you've you've built quite a following there i would assume uh so and i know indie like Indie, it has a perfect name, Indie. Uh, it's very, you know, not to be corny, but um, there's a lot of good music, a lot of good people there. I mean, it, it's very, you did hit the nail on the head in that the Midwest can be unwelcoming in some senses, but in the cities, you know, there are good people if you find them. So just curious on all that, yeah. 
Yeah, the Indianapolis community has been one that when I first moved here was the community that I found myself the most drawn to, especially the people that are actually the people that do things. Um, I feel like that's a type of person in a way, like we find each other. Um, and what makes indie, I think, special is that there are people that have decided to, whether they have grown up here or not, decided to stay to make it a city that um, an artist can thrive in. And I think that it's it's kind of like a, a joke or trope to look at um, touring posters and see that all these other cities are hit, but not Indianapolis. And it's kind of, um, it's really sad because there are a lot of people in Indy who really do genuinely care quite a lot about good art and do it for a living. And I think there's merit to staying where you are and putting down roots when it is something that is conducive to growth in a community. And um, I think that especially Indianapolis does this really, really well. And since um, COVID restrictions have been lifting in some ways, <laughs> um, there have been more shows uh, and just seeing the deep desire for people to be in live musical environments is something that is fresh right now. And especially for my band, um, we are hitting a stride that we were unable to hit and never really had the opportunity to. And I would say I wasn't in a place personally where I could give myself fully to the music in the way that we can now. So watching my band and my personal life and how it's received by the Indianapolis community is something that is like this magic um, coalescing explosion of love. <laughs> it's really fantastic to watch it bloom. Um, and it's really, really, it's like these, this intention on all sides being in the right place at the right time. So whenever I follow up the podcast, I always will take a quote from it or quote or two from it and put it on Instagram. I'm going to have to go back to that one and what you just explained as the explosion of love. Uh, <laughs> Oh, no, it's perfect. It's perfect. <laughs> um, I love it. Um, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm originally from Canton, Ohio, um, which is close to Cleveland, which is kind of the same. Uh, you know, it's a smaller city and gets skipped over on the tour sometimes, uh, gets forgotten about. People question why you're staying. Mm -hmm. um, so I definitely agree. Yeah, there is plenty of merit and and much to be said about you know you talked about breaking ground earlier i mean you're breaking ground there as well uh and just being able to stay there and continue to be successful um it's possible no matter where you are you know whether it's indy cleveland whatever uh rhode island no offense rhode island rhode island's a beautiful place uh been there um, that's wonderful yeah um so kind of keep on, on the music. Let's go back and just talk about the, the singles. We'll start there. So the first single kind of under the new uh, identity, the new band, 
coming out for the album was Heather. That was released on November 20th, uh, 2020. So, yeah, talk about Heather. Who's Heather? What is Heather? <laughs> um, so, contrary to popular belief, Heather's not a person. <laughs> um, it was like, I thought it was an interesting word in the song. Um, because Heather is a perennial plant and, uh, it was kind of this metaphor of Heather being, I guess as the song, I should zoom out a little bit. The the song Heather is really about the first statement of the album and that it, it was saying, I am no longer interested in being inauthentic in the world that I inhabit. And it was a big statement because when I released the song in November, um, I was in the middle of a lot of personal change in my life. Um, my marriage was ending at that time. It was scheduled to release that like month and we did it. We just went ahead with releasing it. So it was very intense. And there's also a lot of, of changes in my community at the time before I even came out that were magnetized to me or repelled from me, depending on that kind of axiom of authenticity. So a lot was changing. A lot was very uncertain. So it was a very scary song to put out. And it was the first time in a video that I I really started presenting more femme and very kind of like obviously, um, gender queer in some way, but it was going to be another three months before I came out publicly. But at the time, um, the idea for this song was to be a, an initial statement for the album, an announcement for the album, and kind of a foreshadowing of the rest of the themes throughout the album. And it really became kind of this like um, flagship kind of landmark song we actually got a call. I was having lunch the other day and I got a call from the CEO of Mahogany Sessions in London. And he asked if we would like to play that song as a Mahogany Session. So I'm flying to LA pretty soon this month to go film that. And just thinking about that song and where it came from for me being such an intense statement of I'm no longer watering myself down. I'm no longer hiding. I'm not putting up with this bullshit of people pleasing. And for that to be the song that, you know, is is moving my career forward in some ways is, is really validating and terrifying and feels very vulnerable. But once that album, that song first came out, the response was incredible. And I was really afraid of like, are people going to judge me? Am I going to be made fun of for how I look or whatever? It's really like fundamental, like childhood fears. Like, will I be accepted? And the reception was incredible. And people were incredibly kind and supportive and validating. And so it was like, putting this album out wasn't just putting out new music. It was putting myself out there personally. Wow. 
there's a lot of liberation, a lot of liberation, I'm sure. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and, and getting, and a lot of planning also, I think, for you. Uh, it sounds like, you know, you mm-hmm. you said one thing that I think was really interesting. So the single you said was three months before you were planning to come out. Were you talking about come out as trans? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You had that plan and everything. So I shouldn't say it was a plan. I knew that I needed to come out before the album dropped, um, mostly for the sake of the story of the album, but also that it was becoming increasingly clear that I needed to be open and honest with my community about where I was. And it kind of started this. It's like when you when you have a conversation with someone for the first time and they open up first, often I will feel more comfortable to open up myself to them. So this is kind of that way with my audience of saying, um, I'm not here to put on a show or an illusion. Like this is me, this is my life, this is my art. And that time was so chaotic for me personally that it was kind of, I was taking it one like hour at a time because I was having to restart my life in a lot of ways. And it was coinciding with the release of the most raw, vulnerable work of my life. So yeah, there was no plan. It was just, um, the idea originally was to just release the whole album, just drop it, move on, because I was so exhausted and really needed to have some time to heal. But um, my housemate, who's also my manager, um, Fred Miller, you can find him at Mr. Hurricane Fred on Instagram. There we go. He is somebody that um, was part of this team of management that were really helping me push the idea of perennials and a public universal fund into something that is bigger than me, not just like a band camp release overnight, but something that was actually um, focused on with some measured intention about um, PR, um, press emails, publications, podcast interviews. So it became like this, hey, let's slow down. You have this beautiful work. Why don't we just like milk it and kind of make it last longer and even since the album's released in March we still feel that there's space for perennials to keep going because there's so much to it so the plan was something very loose but we definitely had an intention of this album deserves more than any work that we've ever produced or put out there into the world you said it was Fred that pushed you to do that Fred was one of the one of the people on the team, especially my I have another friend named Joshua Powell, um, who you can find um, on Instagram as well at Joshua Powell Music. He's another local singer songwriter who's like kind of this psychedelic rock band, um, really really wonderful musician that I've looked up to for years. He was a part of that initial committee, and he's like, Jody, I know you want to like rushed this but like don't (laughs) like take your time this is a good thing and it deserves our attention and deserves our patience the reason that i ask is i think we all owe fred and joshua a big thank you 
uh, because they were right. Uh, not that what you were planning on doing was wrong. Like there's no right or wrong, truly. I mean, but I, I think you have the ability, well, clearly now that you are able to look in retrospect and as you mentioned, it's not even so much retrospect, things are still going. Mm-hmm. Um, it's clearly been something that people have been interested in far beyond just which again to be very clear there's nothing wrong with an overnight band camp release or something like that um i i feel and again it's not about me just trying to relate like i feel very similar with my brand and i think there's a lot of like you know people that will just put out like an instagram account you know just to get followers and kind of you know i don't know yeah get followers and stuff but for me like this is a long-term thing i mean this is what i plan on doing the rest of my life um you know the just even doing it putting the first step forward uh, i'm sure you can relate is just huge um so very very interesting um what about then as we go well actually we talk about fred and joshua this is i guess a good place to to pop in any other like important people uh i'm sure there are lots uh oh we got the list we got a list coming perfect do you have a list yes there are too many of course to to thank here um another person that's been on my team um for the last three or so years his name her name is jalissa gasho um and on Instagram, she is at J-A-L-I-S-S-A-G-A-S-C-H-O. Um, she's That's been enough. one of my agents. She's also an artist rep at Yamaha and has been someone that has helped shape kind of the long-term goals of my music. Um, also on the team, we have, I mean, I have five other band members who all are incredible musicians in their own right and are in different projects and have projects of their own. But then I also have countless, at this point, stylists and makeup and hair people and people help with wardrobe and a merch staff that is rotating and people that do photos and video. So like the Puff family is is grown quite a bit and they're even like engineers, um, people who have like recording experience that I don't have who have helped make um, perennials a reality, but are also helping us with future projects. But um, yeah, the, the team has, has been something since around November has been very, very active. And I think part of the strength of Public Universal Friend as a community is that instead of me having an idea that I just kind of manifest on my own and don't run by anybody, Part of the strength is, all right, we got this opportunity. Let's see how we can maximize that. Um, Like we got to do a small studio session with our local NPR PBS station, WFYI, um, last week. And part of what we did with that is we had um, coordinating wardrobe. We did makeup, hair, um, and a set design. And that was something that we didn't have to do. We could have just shown up whatever we were wearing, but because of our creative team, we decided to make it an event and make it something that was like um, going to be memorable and stand out 
And these are things that I would have never thought of if it were just me. So there's a certain kind of like dignifying to bigger ideas that comes with a community of people that you create with. And often it's just like with three or more people, it feels like a party instead of just like a little solo show or just the Jody show. It's it's really the family is something that has made public universal friend what it is. That is, um, yeah, there's, that is all great stuff. Um, one thing that I thought about during that, which, I mean, if you knew me, uh, which obviously like my listeners that, that consistently do do, uh, this would be the greatest compliment ever in that it reminds me of Florence and the machine. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, Florence, uh, is my greatest artistic influence. Uh, I have the same, that we with the how Amazing. big a beautiful tattoo yeah she heard that album kind of really changed my life that was like right after my dad had passed and kind of really was big for me um in like mm. changing from sports guy in college to more uh in intuitive and and, and kind of in tune with myself growing up uh, into a man instead of uh a young child, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one, and I, I don't know if you've ever gotten uh, Fiona Apple as well. Definitely. Oh my goodness! Uh, when I have heard, so lifted for sure, because that was uh, wow. That was the song that I um, that I put on the playlist, and that was the first one that I heard. But that one definitely reminds mm-hmm. me of Fiona Apple. Um, so that's two that come to mind for me. Um, that's an incredible honor. Yeah. Well, I keep it up. Yeah. The music does the talk. I mean, I, I don't, I wouldn't bullshit you. I promise. Um, <laughs> in the sense of, cause it's a lot of people, a lot of moving parts. And like you mentioned, um, the band has other projects as well. When you mm-hmm. tour, when you go play, are you always with the same band on stage or do you have mm-hmm. just some fill-ins? How does that work? So I've had a band somewhat consistently since 2016. And at the time, that band was very much just like hired guns. I had a drummer who was with me for three years um, named Jared Bright, who is also now he's like doing, he's a traveling sound engineer. He just did sound at Newport Folk Festival. Wonderful person. But um, during initial lockdown, my band disbanded some people moved I was writing perennials and a lot was changing so that we had our first show back in May and I just kind of assembled a group of people that were around me and in my circles who I trusted to be excellent musicians in their own right who do their work and show up to rehearsal knowing what they're doing and that has been the crowd that we've just consistently been doing shows with And as much as I, like, recognize that they could leave at any time, they're not obligated to stay, um, all of my band members want to be there and want to collaborate. And we have done, like, 90% of our shows this year in Indianapolis. Um, We did one show in Knoxville in June, but we've had a lot of opportunities in Indy that have been... um, I think what has kind of given this swell of support 
from the local scene and from people that like are just hungry to get out to see shows again. But um, all of us are local to Indianapolis and are all professional musicians. And um, it's been something that's been really beautiful because we choose each other. And it's not something that's like an obligation or just there for the paycheck. And it feels like the first time that I've had a band that I can really call my family and my collaborators and people that I want to be on the records and I want to come on tour with me. So we're looking at the next like six months to a year right now and trying to form the vision of what touring might look like or what opening slot opportunities on tours might look like. And right now it's our, our, like our prospects are only going to go up from here, it seems. So I've just been clear with the band that like once we get to a point of being able to do this more full time and do it with more commitment that this is the band that I want to come with me. I'm not going to <laughs> replace them or anything like that because they are the best at what they do. And that's been something really beautiful too is like having a band of people that are way more talented than me in some ways and know theory better and are sensitive and powerful. And I kind of have this feeling of I'm surrounding myself with musicians I look up to. And um, that's something that's kind of new. But it's been really beautiful to kind of recognize this change in the fabric of the band and watching it grow into something that's bigger than me. That's great. That's great. Um, are you, and I think I get the sense from that answer, you do music full-time? Um, it depends what you mean by full-time. Do you have another job that you have a boss? <laughs> so I, I do have a day job. I work at a coffee shop. Ah. It's great. This coffee yeah. shop is um, really been a special environment. And I, I do think that like musicians that are working toward um, doing music as something that like, I, th I think the, the term full time is kind of a misnomer because of course I do music full time. It's some, it's what I, your time oh, like, definitely absolutely so yeah. like when i'm not working coffee like uh chefs i'm at an, another coffee shop doing booking emails and press interviews and marketing and everything that has to do with being a musician that's not on stage so music is my full-time job it's not what i earn my living with yet but it's also not quite the point to me. And I've always been the kind of person that is fine living on peanuts and living in a cardboard box if it means that I get to do what I love. And my needs for kind of like creature comforts and commodities aren't really that complicated. <laughs> and that's something that um, I find most musicians who are dedicated to their music as their number one passion are ones who have designed their lives around 
um, kind of being poised and ready to go with the music growing however it needs to. So it's been really beautiful being with musicians in my band and in my crew who prioritize music. And it's not just a hobby. Um, but, but for me, finding a job that was flexible enough to allow me to reschedule if I had a recording session or be something that I don't have to run as a business or something that I have to take home to work on instead of something I can just do while I'm there. And even when it's slow, I have definitely booked tours in between pouring cappuccinos for many years. There you go. Um, yeah, but that's it's, just, it's the grind. And it's something that I respect in musicians. Um, and it's, I mean, it's a humble thing. It's, it's not a, um, there's nothing glamorous about, um, like there's a lot, there's a lot about being a musician that is very not glamorous. And in that sense can be very daunting because it feels like you have this one part of your life that is very visible and seen and you push it. And there's other parts that are not seen that support those visual kind of visible moments. And that can be a dichotomy that's pretty overwhelming. But I think there's a lot of merit to um, having a day job and being a working class musician. Um, I think that's kind of what it's all about in 2021. Like there's no label that's just going to scoop you up and take you away. Like you have to work for it if you want it. So for one, I couldn't agree more. Um, wholeheartedly agree. For two, given the fact that you work at a coffee shop probably disgusted you even more when I uh, cracked open a monster energy. This. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, it's, it's truly the worst. Uh, I think I, you're I, just I, selling yourself short. <laughs> I agree. And I've been There's trying. There's better out there, Kevin. There's I know. Uh, <laughs> I believe me. I know. Um, and three, I thought it was also, and this is just corny Kevin here coming in. Uh, I thought it was interesting yeah. to know that it was a grind, you know, because you were. Oh, at, my uh, God. Grind. That was good. Had to. Yeah, I that, was, that was that was quality. And I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate that. I'm glad <laughs> you're on that level. Yeah, I wrote I wrote all three of those things down. Um, I respect. Yeah. That. And I know I do not say that, you know, as a and I, I don't think that you took it this way. But I don't say that as a as a slight in a question at all. I'm, I mm. asked that more so as a compliment uh, because I think it mm. is, you know, yeah. even more of a testament to your ability to stay grounded uh, in believing in the art and its growth at a very consistent pace. And, you know, you know that you are ready when that moment comes, mm-hmm. uh, the big moment, whether that is, next week in a month or in a year um i think just kind of being okay with the growth that it goes while Mm -hmm. like you said also putting in the work uh in a this is really cheesy but you know blue collar kind of way Mm -hmm. um it's true so um let's go back to the music a little um we didn't talk about the other two singles yet before we get to the whole album. So we started with Heather, which was November of 2020. Um, and then Firestarter, which also has a very interesting, I think it's a tiny desk type 
uh, video on your Instagram, mm -hmm. which is great. Um, check that out if you guys have not. Uh, that was released in January. And then you had Tomboy, which was released in March, just two weeks before the full album. So kind of, yeah, talk about both of those singles there, Firestarter and Tomboy. The idea for Firestarter, um, it was the last song that I wrote for the album. And it was one that was, it's kind of this, I don't know how to describe this. I don't know exactly which word I'm looking for. Not quite vindictive, but it was definitely a song that was powerful in being a statement of visibility. And something that I encountered with this time of my life when I was writing Perennials is that when I started talking about gender as not being a binary, but instead as a spectrum of lived experience, um, and started expressing that, not just like visually, but just ideologically to my community, which, which some were in the church, some were outside the church, but there was definitely, um, there was definitely the sense that my visibility was becoming an issue in certain places. And I wrote the song with this very timely, like literally the, the first lines are stay inside, isolate. <laughs> so it's like my only COVID moment that's very specific, but it, it's followed up with say it right or oscillate. And it's this kind of tension and this idea of I'm working with some very kind of like high powered ideas when it comes to transness and the politics of that in the church and in the South and how oftentimes it feels that my place as an artist who is trans, I am walking a fine line for some people. And there was kind of this personal change with my writing where I was no longer concerned about pleasing the masses, but instead telling the truth in power, which has been a long, difficult journey for me as an artist, because for many years, I just wanted to write music that everyone liked. And I just wanted to be someone that everyone liked. But suddenly, um, once I started coming out, it was pretty clear to me that there were some people who did not like me and did not appreciate me being real or questioning certain things or even thinking critically about certain issues. And the, the whole idea of say no more, you might be right. Like if you bring truth into this conversation, it might destroy it. It's always been a very interesting thing in my life of bringing truth into a, an idea or a cycle of thought to free it so that when you really learn the truth about something, it brings freedom. Whereas there are certain instances with certain people that they would very much rather you not be truthful so they can maintain an illusion around you and their attachment to you, therefore, is reliant upon you being inauthentic. And this is a whole huge theme about my life and my upbringing and my church that I was a part of and I'm no longer. So it was a very, it was a very cataclysmic 
I guess, account of that time of my life. And it was also very triumphant. It's often a song that we open with, and it's the opening track of the album. Um, but it was something that really, it always kind of breaks the ice ideologically. And, and when people hear our music, I hope that it's an idea of we are a band and a community of people that do encourage critical thought and visibility of people who are marginalized and value community and unity above um, being right or um, being controlling or somehow answering to some kind of authority. So it's, it's kind of the anthem of the album. And that was followed by the song Tomboy, which I wrote um, when I was in a time where I was very much just kind of questioning my gender and feeling kind of in between definitions. And there was a time where I was like, I can't decide or I can't quite identify how I'm feeling. And if I were to be honest with myself about how I'm feeling about my gender, then a lot would be at risk and my life would change dramatically if I if I said publicly that I'm a woman. Oh my God, like that that would just be the most earth shattering admission to the world around me. And Tomboy really embodies this anxiety of um, of blooming and growing and and coming into yourself. And this desire that's very pure just to be lovely and fair and pure and some someone that like that that for me was this very kind of visceral question of like who am I and how do I want to express that <laughs> and the second verse of, of tomboy really comes into this like I'm here this is me this is who I want to be, this is who I am, and yes, it is subversive of your definitions of, like, from a conservative standpoint, how gender should be, or how the societal stance around trans issues should be, and it is challenging, and it was challenging to um, myself as a young person to think critically about this kind of thing, so having, having tomboy be something that was filmed in the ice and snow in this very kind of desolate, dying environment, contrasted with um, our friend Journey, who is the actress that played the young Jody in that video. There was this kind of reclaiming of my childhood that was done through this video about so much angst and so much that was lost and me not really being able to explore freely um, what gender meant to me as a child, but having a visual representation of myself as a young girl living a life that I didn't quite get the chance to live until my adulthood is something that I think was a very powerful image with the idea of transness and the transcendence, uh, there's another pun for you, of time and the kind of like transference, which is another pun, 
<laughs> of um, the kind of energy from my, my present self to my past self. And um, Tomboy was the final um, track that was released, but it was like right, I guess maybe two, three weeks after I had come out publicly. So it was like, all right, you know the truth about me in this really profound way. Here's a video to further illustrate that. And it became kind of this weaving of my personal narrative of coming out with the album and its intention and what the band and the whole crew is seeking to do with the album, which is to create a safe place for people to ask questions about who they are and where they're going and who they're meant to be. Well, I have no idea what to follow that up with now. No, I'm just I wrote a book for you. Yeah. <laughs> I meant that in a good way. I mean, that's, uh, I mean, it's just, there's so much substance there that, that there's lots of ways I could follow up with that. Um, mm. I think one, one word that it sparks one thing that I always like to talk about off of everything that you just said is your childhood. You're obviously mm. very connected to it. Um, albeit for good or for bad. Um, what, just on the surface, before we kind of, I guess, get into like what your childhood was like, musically, when did you know that you wanted to be a musician? Or like, who were the early musicians for you that you were listening to that kind of sparked the interest? Or is your family musical or anything like that? Mm-hmm. So I grew up in the church. My dad um, was a pastor in the Methodist church, and my mom was the worship leader of our church. So I was very, I was very much involved in that community, and a lot of the music I was exposed to were by artists who were expressly Christian or had come from some kind of faith background. And there was kind of an idea of there's this world of music that is for church and then there's this world of music that's not <laughs> and I, I feel like my mom would listen to a lot of very kind of church christian music and my dad would listen to like neil young and ario speedwagon and like bluegrass so i had these kind of like not pretty so multi right i had, I had a, I had a pretty multifaceted musical upbringing in that way um, but I was really interested in like hard rock and um, folk music, which for some reason, both of those um, kind of areas of music were very interesting to me. Like, I love the sound of 90s alternative, like Nirvana, Pearl Jam, that sort of thing. But I also, when I was listening to Neil Young and Woody Guthrie and Bob Dylan and um, that sort of thing. I was very interested in the storytelling aspect of just like a person and a guitar telling a story. And I think that um, as I've grown older, I've recognized that like hip hop does this really well, folk music, like old folk music, old country, and punk rock all kind of have the same bond of telling cultural stories and valuing 
the truth and valuing the the shared experience and the common narrative and the representation of challenging or subversive ideas and helping move culture along. Like those are the kind of, um, I find those to be kind of the genres of music through which the storytelling has changed the world. And that was something that I knew I wanted to do when I was in middle school. And my dad bought me an acoustic guitar when I was 12 and taught me my first few chords and how to play a few songs. And that was where it just sparked the love of me learning this instrument as kind of like moving from rote memorization of chords to expressing myself. And it became this mode of expression that was so fundamental to the way I experienced myself and the world and the way I experienced God too because I was very involved in my church's music and would continue to do so for many, many years. And what I learned over time as I came into adulthood is that um, there is something more holistic about music that's like more broadly spiritual that cannot be contained to certain genres. And this idea of there being spiritual music that's dedicated to the kind of spiritual communication between us and the divine is a false dichotomy in relationship to all other kinds of music. Like it's all spiritual and it's all beautiful and important. And kind of this idea that there really is no such thing as Christian music. That's kind of ridiculous. The thing to claim because hmm. I think I think music should be judged more on its quality than its um, intention, <laughs> because like sometimes like it, it really just becomes a marketing thing, um, which I have a lot of issue with when it comes to money and music and the church. Um, like Christian music business are like three words that I think should never exist in the same sentence, but they often do. Um, and I think, I think Jesus would think that was funny if I could guess, <laughs> but it's like, um, that's something that I became quite frustrated with, um, kind of in my early twenties of leading a lot of church music, but it really became something that was like, I know there's a bigger narrative to this. And I know that music has a bigger purpose than, um, to be limited to a certain kind of brand and that music is something as beautiful in and of itself. And that is what can connect us to something bigger than who we are. So I've always thought about music very deeply and knew when I was like 12 that I wanted to be doing this and haven't stopped. Where would you be without music in your life? Um, not here. <laughs> I, I don't know. It's similar. Um, I, I, there's probably no answer for that question. Um, that's more yeah. so. Just, uh, yeah. I, I, as you said, I mean, it's been your whole life, um, mm -hmm. which is there's certainly nothing wrong with. Um, what? And this is a fun one, actually. What What is your favorite song off of the album? Wow. I think the one that I always go back to is Firestarter. Um, that one does, I think, hold the 
the heart of the album more holistically than any of the other songs, which are facets, I think, of Firestarter. Like, um, I think they all tell this very cohesive narrative that has darkness and light and kind of whimsy and seriousness. But I think Firestarter is a great example of something that was a very fresh statement that kind of summed up everything I was trying to say. Um, I would also say um, Healer is another song that has just become extremely powerful and was also the one song in the album that did not follow my own personal narrative. I wrote it for a friend and it was a song about abuse and it was something that um, I think anyone that's been in an, an environment where their emotional life or their physical life is taken advantage of and manipulated can relate to this idea of, um, I mean, this, this desire to, to find justice alongside healing. And that's something that whenever we sing it live, I think of like, we are all coming into authenticity and are healing from abuses of all kinds and um, people who are manipulative and ideas that are manipulative and systems that are manipulative. So like healer became a very interesting kind of facet within perennials as well. Um, and I love each of the songs. They're like all my children. I love them all for different yeah. reasons. Who's Yeah, who's your favorite child? That's, uh, that's right, you. Um, right. Ah, wow. So all of this has me thinking you're, you're probably already, and you don't have to say, of course, but you're probably already working on a second album. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> we certainly are. Yeah, um, I figured. Yeah. This, the next record... And it's, it's funny, like I've, I've released, um, I think, 12 records over my life, but this is going to be the second that is released um, under the name Public Universal Friend as a release. Um, Lower Permission is my 2017 record that was retroactively released as Public Universal Friend again. And um, Is that on Spotify? It is, yeah. Okay. It's the one that has kind of the bluish green cover that's a painting. It's literally hanging in my room right now. I'm looking at it. It's really beautiful. That is by Alicia Zanoni, who is my favorite Indianapolis painter. She's wonderful. Um, but yeah, this next this next record are songs that I have been writing since my divorce and over the last eight months of my life. And we started recording very recently. And even as we started recording, we were watching the album continue to grow and change and restructure. So it's another living, breathing organism. And um, it is going to be a different dimension of perennials as far as like the sound. It's going to be pretty different. And I think what's happening and what will probably continue to be the theme in future conversations about this album are that it is very reminiscent of music I was writing when I was in college, like 
10 years ago and is very Appalachian influenced, has a lot of kind of ballad, like piano influences as well. And it's going to be a very interesting reclamation of those sounds that are fixedly Appalachian and, and Southern. Um, but hearing those songs be something that is a specifically um, like trans representation in that sort of music is, is pretty rare. And that's something that I really wanted to, to kind of put out there as the next chapter as like us combining these kind of new Appalachian style songs with songs we sing like perennials that are all from the same heart, but have a pretty different sound. Uh, so I'm really excited about this one being um, more tender in some ways and very raw, um, sometimes scary. Like there are some songs that are on this next record that I am a little bit afraid of and I really make me feel the heat when I sing them into a microphone full of, in a room full of people. And we've debuted a few of them so far this year, but I'm very excited to see where that one's gonna go and which kind of dimensionality it's gonna bring to the catalog, a public universal friend. Well, shit. I am too now. Uh, I, I would like to tell your PR people, she just did a great job uh, making everybody excited for this album. So uh, take whatever was just said and just make it a clip. Um, <laughs> uh, you guys have a, uh, a date for this, for this album? We don't. Yeah, it is um, it's still very much in process. We do have a, a vision for releasing this a little differently than we've released anything else. Um, but it is definitely kind of in the stage of vision making and trying to, to figure out how to best reach people and how to make it the most kind of interesting engagement. And I kind of optimize that to be like, if I were someone who is listening to our band, how would I want to experience the next chapter of our music? Because, um, of, of course, there's a part of me that just wants to drop it again, but I have to push against that and make it more deliberate and and really let this album be what it is and letting it create its own narrative and us kind of listening to the kind of the spirit of it and seeing what it wants <laughs> and, and really like letting that be something that is not forced, but something that really gives the next chapter of our band um, the space it needs to grow and become what it is. I don't know if you follow Lord at all, uh, but she just did an interview that was very interesting. And she was talking about how uh, she sees colors for her albums mm -hmm. kind of as a general theme. Do you have that same kind of inkling, would you say? Like perennials was in my view, in my eyes, like brown and gold. Uh, mm -hmm. Do you have something in mind for your next album? As far as like the visuals behind it? Um, you might think yeah. I'm nuts and just, you know, maybe not, but. I, I haven't really, I mean, we have this kind of idea of this album being a lot earthier than anything in the past um but something that is like i think of maybe like a rich like 
sage green, maybe. Um, we don't have album artwork for it yet, um, but it does feel that this, yeah, kind of, I think sage green is the color that comes to mind for that. There we go. And of course, like perennials was like gold. That was that was something that I was very interested in. For some reason, that color being like a warm kind of, I don't know, kind of mustard brown gold color made sense. Yeah. Yeah. Who did uh, who did the album artwork for Perennials? Yeah, so my friend um, Beth Ann Thomas did that album artwork. Here we go. Shout uh, out. I'm going to pull up her name real quick. So you can find her on Instagram at BA underscore artworks. Um, she did the Perennials album artwork, which I am still so in love with. Oh, it's beautiful. Um, yeah, we, we collaborated on some ideas for what the collage might contain, but she is someone that is a collage artist and um, has done a lot of work with representing the stories of women and the male gaze, which has been a very interesting like trauma recovery. Let's tell our stories. Let's be real about like what it was like to grow up as women and how that relates to our like our progress going forward so it's like a really beautiful work it has a lot to do with like solidarity and feminism dignity and beauty so she's definitely somebody that's worth following um also one of my favorite artists in indianapolis sweet yeah it's beautiful she she did a great job as you as you said um so covered a lot um what is the best way to support you guys um, just, uh, I mean, obviously the, the follows, the likes, all that good stuff. But is there anything like specific that you guys have that that you really, really try to push or anything like that? I think that right now, um, something that is very helpful is going to our online store, publicuniversalfriend.bandcamp.com, and we have T-shirts there. We have this lyrics booklet that I designed that is kind of like if you were to buy a vinyl and take out the the kind of inside sheet that has all the lyrics. It's kind of like that. See, that's mixed, very Florence Welchie. Yeah, mixed with like a zine kind of style. Um, that's something that we've been trying to sell to make some money. Honestly, buying merch is very helpful in a very pragmatic way if you're looking for a way to... Um, support us directly and if you um, want to see how that merch is made you can go to the instagram and you have a great sure video showing the oh my goodness. you can see a very stoned jody making a t-shirt there we go um it was really fun um and yeah part of that is like the merch has been something that i wanted to optimize and make something that's like very kind of unusual or something that's not just t-shirts and cds but like, how can I make our merch have a story just like Puff has a story? Uh, I mean, of course, like, if you want to add us to playlists on Spotify, help with the algorithm, or share our posts or whatever, I would say next to buying merch would just be coming to shows. Like, we have, um, we have a show coming up in September at the Vogue Theater in Indianapolis, which is going to be the biggest venue that we've ever played and we're trying to sell that out 
Nice. We'll see. I, I really hope we can. But that will be um, with Ian Illig and Antlerhead, who are two local bands that are working very, very hard to get as many people as we can to the Vogue. Um, showing up to shows is going to be the best way to be part of the scene, to feel the kind of camaraderie with the rest of the Puff family. And I really like that. That's really like what the live music scene is, is people just showing up and not just saying they do. That's been something I've been trying to do as well as like shows. I'm sorry. You got any groupies yet? Depends what you mean by groupies. (laughs) Somebody comes to every show. (laughs) We have a few of those for sure. There we go. Um, There's nothing mostly just our friends. Yeah, (laughs) that's how it starts. Good. Yeah. All of that stuff, uh, obviously, we'll make sure we got all the main stuff linked in the podcast bio. Uh, and, of course, if anybody has any questions on how to get a hold of any of that, reach out to me or Jody or whomever. Um, is there anything that we have not talked about at all? That, that you know, we- I think we've covered just about everything in the world. Lots of stuff. Lots of stuff. I think we just about figured it out. <laughs> yeah. Um, I... I appreciate it very very much i mean that's i don't i don't like to like elevate one interview over the other i think all of them have their own elements um you know but this is one that definitely was along the more artistic lines and i appreciate that um so i appreciate that and and everything you shared i mean yeah anybody that one thing you said i think that is obvious about your band um kind of as it relates to going back to the christian music and business and whatnot is you know anybody can be handed um uh, a, a computerized beat and you know some words and put it into a song and release it you know kind of as we alluded to which again has its place nothing wrong with it um but if that's what you're into, that's not what you're going to get with Puff Band. Uh, <laughs> what we're getting at. So, and I think that you like it that way, of course. Um, and then to me, if I was uh, in a band or I was uh, leading a band, that's definitely the way I'd be going as well. Um, so, I you've got my full support. Um, I I I root for all the bands from the Midwest always. I mean, that's um. I know it's kind of cheesy, but um, that's how I found you. Um, and and I would not have put you on a playlist if I didn't think it was good. Uh, wouldn't have wanted to follow up and bring you on here if I didn't think it was good. And just everything that you've said over the last hour plus has made uh, me and I'm sure everybody else listening even more excited for the next album. Um, yeah, any shout outs or anything that we didn't get to? Oh boy, we. Yeah. Um, I we think Fred, I mentioned this. What were you saying? So we had Fred, we had Joshua. Uh-huh. There was. Uh, Alyssa. Uh, yeah. Who are my who are part of my management team? Um, Alicia Zanoni is a wonderful painter that did lower permissions artwork. Beth Ann Thomas did uh, perennials artwork. We're playing at the Vogue on September 3rd in Indianapolis. What about recording? Do you do all your own recording and mixing and everything? So recording is a very um, 
we kind of have a very interesting area. We we did have one album where it was with like fundraising and a producer in a studio for two weeks, but um, it was pretty clear to me that through my production experience, I like to have um, more flexibility with time and experimentation than like bought studio time. So there are some things that we do record in a studio that are that's timely and then um all of it's self-produced with local engineers who are, are people that really just love making music and not somebody that i'm just hiring so perennials was recorded in a barn and then in the living room and then in a studio in nashville and so far this next record has been recorded at azimuth studios um, in indianapolis and there's been some that we recorded a piano in our friend's house. So it's all kind of hodgepodge and DIY, but I wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah, it comes together well. That's all that matters. Um, beautiful. Yeah, like you said, you wouldn't have it any other way. I think it fits, I think it fits the theme of what you are doing very well. Um, well, I appreciate it very much, Jody. Uh, if there's nothing else, we can wrap it up. What? Ooh, here, I remember this time. So... I am trying to ask everybody on the way out. So I play three songs throughout the podcast. Um, what would you recommend we head out with? If you have to, this is where I ask you your favorite child again. Uh, so <laughs> what song yeah. would you like played on the way out? I think a song that comes to mind is um, Continuance. Cool. That's a great jam. We'll do that. What can do that? Yeah, yeah. I, I try to get them in there as much, uh, get the tunes in there. I mean, I, I think I've said it enough. Everybody, um, listen to the music. Uh, I don't. I really try to have bands on that I like genuinely like the music first and foremost. It's where it's got to start, I think, um, and then going from there. So uh, happy to do that. Happy to have you on and, and continue to get root. You know, not only you, the whole band, everybody on. Um, yeah, I, I cannot appreciate it. I cannot thank you enough. I appreciate it very much. That is Jody Friend of the Puff Band, Public Universal Friend. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, Kevin. Beautiful conversation. Um, it's really that simple. Yeah, I, you know, again, like I said at the beginning of the episode, the the depth and just the vulnerability there shared by Jody is, is, you know, why I have always been so tied to music. It's why, you know, as, as somebody who considers himself uh, quite an empath, um, you know, I think my personality traits as well have always kind of led me to really relate to people as much as I can and I just, I feel so much, you know, hearing Jody talk about her music and, and, um, there's, there's just, you know, so many things you could take away from that. But, uh, yeah, that, that was, uh, that was public universal friend with Jody friend, uh, or I should say vice or the other way around. That was Jody friend there with public universal friend. Um, but Obviously, as always, all of the links, all the good stuff there will be linked in the podcast description. You guys know how to search on Spotify and Instagram and all that good stuff. Um, 
uh, the website, everything, you know, if you've got any questions for Jody, if you want to learn more about the band, you know how that goes. Uh, and you heard her, of course, we are going to listen to continuance on the way out. So, um, hell of a song, this song came on no shit. And, uh, I, so I didn't realize whether I was still listening to public universal friend puff, the puff band or not. Um, it was one of those situations where I was just listening to music and, and things were coming on. And this song came on the other day and I swear to you, I said, holy shit, this is really good. And I wasn't sure if it was public universal friend or not. And then I looked at my phone again and, and, and confirmed. So, uh, I can certainly vouch for this song as well. And I, I know I don't just say shit like that just to, 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 you know, pump up the, the episode. I, Sincerely, that happened. Um, and like I said earlier, I think every song on here it has its place. So really encourage you to check out the whole album, Perennials, there. Um, but that's that. We're going to leave it, uh, of course, there. Uh, really, like I said, and, you know, can't reiterate enough how much I appreciate Jody, com- Jody coming on uh, and, and telling everything here, Puff Band related. Um, next week's episode is going to be with Rooftops, uh, alt-rock, pop-rock band out of, uh, a solo band ultimately out of uh, Columbus, Ohio. Uh, so we'll be diving in there. But uh, for now, we're, we're going to focus still here on uh, Public Universal Friend. We're going to hop it on out here with the song requested, of course, by Jody herself. Continuance. We'll listen to the whole song here on the way out. Hope you enjoy. Hope you have a great rest of your week ahead. And we will see you next week. Thank you for tuning in as always. Mm-hmm.